You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Red Leg Nation Radio. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. Joining us today for the first time with us, although we certainly hope it's not the last, is one of my fellow editors at RedLegNation.com. Greg Daffler. How are you doing today, Greg? I am doing great, Chad. How are you? Oh, doing just wonderful. Uh, glad to talk some Reds tonight. Yes, regular season baseball. Finally, I know. You know, <laughs> It took me a long time really to get excited for uh, the season, even though I knew the Reds were going to be good this year. The taste of October last year just uh, and that collapse, it just I, I couldn't get over it. And so now that we're finally into the regular season, I'm really, uh, really pumped up about these red legs. And there's a lot to be happy about, a uh, lot to, uh, if you want to get worried, there's a lot of uh, things to worry about, I guess. But uh, we're going to try to stay positive. Um, what do you think about how the first three series have gone so far? Well, other than, of course, the last two games leaving a bad taste in everybody's mouth, I think the start to the year uh, certainly better than last year. And uh, certainly have had a couple of uh, games of offensive explosion. And uh, I think, you know, five and four uh, is a pretty good start. It really is a pretty good start, especially when you consider the teams that we've played. Start out with the Angels, who are expected to be uh, competitive with everyone in the uh, in the American League, certainly. Yep. And, and I think, it, my money, the best team in the AL West. Of course, with Jared Weaver getting hurt now, that, that may not be the case. Uh, then moving on uh, to that second series against a team that a lot of people think is the uh, – potential World Series champs, Washington Nationals, and certainly most people's pick to be the best team in the National League, uh, and the Reds looked awfully good against the Nationals. And then, you know, they lose two out of three in St. Louis, but there's really no shame in that, let's be honest. They did get thumped uh, in that last game, uh, and that was pretty ugly uh, when the Reds had a chance to win the series. But, again, there's no shame in going on the road, losing two out of three. I'm, I'm very pleased with a 5-4 and four start, given yeah. who, who we've played so far. It, you know, it could have been a lot worse. Well, you know, with that last game, too, karma is a, a weird thing sometimes. The Reds go out and string off nine runs in a row in the, the, the first game in the ninth inning at a 4-4 tie and then turn around and lose a game 10 to nothing a couple of days later. It's just you never know with baseball. It's anything from one day to the next. Oh, baseball's a funny game, and that's a, a really good example of that. You know, after the Reds beat up on the Nationals <laughs> in that 15 to nothing game, then we yep. come back and, and play this game against the Cardinals, you know, and losing the whole game until the uh, tied up in the eighth, and then this explosion, like you called it, in the ninth inning for nine runs. People have got to be thinking, goodness gracious, this Reds team, you know, unstoppable. Yeah. Uh, so maybe they get humbled a little bit, and that's what baseball will always do to you, I guess. Yes, and it's interesting, too, that Homer Bailey was on the winning and losing end of both the, the best win and, and, and worst loss of the season so far with the 15 to nothing win and the 10-0 the loss. <laughs> That's sort of a microcosm of uh, what uh, the common fans' uh, expectation is of uh, Homer Bailey in some ways, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, up and down, never consistent enough for anyone. Uh, although we're, we're big Homer Bailey fans here on the on the podcast. Um, let's talk about that first series really quickly. You know, it was a good team against the uh, uh, the Angels. Reds came out and, and played pretty well, uh, impressed a lot of people. What? Do you, let me ask you first, what do you think about the start in the season with interleague play? What's your opinion on that? Um, well, I guess we knew it was coming for a while. Uh, the Astros move to the American League was uh, uh, announced early last year, right? And so 
somebody was going to do it, and so hey, it might as well have been Cincinnati. Uh, I think that's that's fine. It's here, and I think you know within the year or two we're going to see uh, a permanent DH in the National League too. And so I hope uh, people are braced for that because I, I it's going to happen. If you ever say that again, you'll be uh, <laughs> you'll be removed from the list of editors of Red Leg Nation. Don't even don't even think that. You're you're right. I'm afraid. I hope that's not true. <laughs> and I just I don't even want to think about it. Uh, the thought really bothers me. Uh, I don't know. I, I've, I've come around to where interleague play doesn't, you know, really, really irritate me that bad. I can right. live with it, I guess. The wild card, I guess I've got no choice. I'll I live with it. But man, that, the DH, that's, that's a, that's a big step. That's much bigger than any of that other, uh, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Um, yeah. so, and you know, uh, what are they going to do with Mike Leake if they have a DH? <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess uh, I guess he'll have to give up that into the bat or, or be a Babe Ruth and play the field on the days he doesn't pitch. I don't know. He hits better than you know, Cesare's <laughs> tourists, for example, and well, uh, and the Willie Harris's of the past. So that's true. <laughs> uh, uh, moved on. We didn't really uh, talk about the Angels there much, but uh, it was a good 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 series against the Angels, and uh, yes. into even better series against the Nationals. What yep. did you see out of those first two series that made you think this team has a real chance of being a contender, or was there anything that made you think otherwise? Um, no, I think they hung with two really good teams at the time they played the Angels. Uh, they had Jared Weaver, uh, and the only loss they had was uh, the loss he started, although it wasn't directly because of Weaver. They lost that one in extra innings, but... Um, uh, Five of the six games were close, and the one that wasn't close was that fifteen to nothing thumping of uh, Bailey over Dan Heron. Um, I think they can compete. They've shown they can compete with the top two teams uh, in each respective league, or two of the top teams in each respective league. And um, uh, they have the pitching, they have the offense, and uh, you know, as we saw last couple nights, that doesn't show up every single night. But um, they scored a lot of runs in those first two series. And a big part of that, we're going to talk about Shinsu Chu here in a moment. He's a big part of that, and a big part of the reason why I expect the Reds' offense is going to be even better this year. Yep. But, but before we get into that, I wanted to uh, sort of touch on something that you had talked about at, uh, at Red Leg Nation in the past. After the first seven games, the Reds had won five. They had, the only two games they lost were uh, extra inning losses. Uh, looking pretty good. Now, some people, they lose two in a row to the Cardinals, and everybody hates losing to the Cardinals. And so some people right. may be a little <laughs> bit down uh, after losing two. But uh, you talked uh, last year about uh, after nine games. You know, uh, la- Last year, uh, people were a little bit uh, even more panicky than they are this year. But you want to right. touch on what you wrote about and, and how it uh, applies to this year's team? Sure. So last year, the Reds started uh, three and six. They had only scored 23 runs in that, that nine-game stretch. Four times they scored exactly one run um, and was just looking very anemic offensively. Um, and, and folks were thought, well, the season, this is it. It's 2011 again, maybe worse, so we're not going anywhere. Uh, there was a lot of panic, I think, uh, on Twitter and on our blog and places like that. So, um, you know, I looked, nine, nine games was a pretty small sample size, uh, uh, and those were pretty good teams that they, they were losing to then also. They lost two of three to the Cardinals. Sound familiar? They uh, played the Nationals three times and lost all three of those games. Uh, but I'd looked at the, the two prior years and, and looked at a rolling nine-game stretches through those times. And there were other periods of time, uh, even in 2010, where the Reds scored um, 23 runs in a nine-game stretch and went three and six. They, had, they did that twice in 2010. And in that year, they won the division and, and went on to uh, – uh, the playoffs, uh, not successfully, but they 
they won the division that year. Uh, and again last year, they started three and six. They had a they had a very anemic scoring to start the season, but they went on to win ninety seven games and and go to the playoffs. So, um, you know, these small nine game microcosms aren't uh, a large enough sample to make any uh, sort of. De- uh, decision it's just they kind of blown up at the beginning of the year when all you have to look at is nine games and and you kind of can make some sort of uh concerns one way or the other about the results of those scores at that point well you're exactly right uh you know and, and you talk about how many runs the reds had scored after nine games this year only 23 last year after nine games this year after yep. nine games uh 52 runs i think uh, yep. if i remember correctly that's a that's a huge difference so um I think something that I try to caution very often is the the Reds, and any, this goes for any team, obviously, but the Reds are never going to be as good as they seem when they're playing their absolute best, and they're yeah. never <laughs> as bad as they look when they're playing their absolute worst. Teams do this during the season. So um, overall, I'm in most respects, I'm very, very satisfied with the start to this season um, with a couple of uh, things we'll talk about that are maybe red flags, but um, – if you'd have told me before the season they'd be five and four after these nine games, I'd, I'd have taken that, wouldn't you? Well, sure. Yeah, you go. Well, they generally say if you can go five hundred or better against the the best teams and and beat up on the teams you should, like what's coming up on the schedule, then then you're in really good shape. Yeah, but we don't get a beat up on the on the Astros this year. That's, you know, <laughs> that's, that's not fair. Come on, Bud Selig. Um, let's talk about some of the hot starts uh, before we talk about some of the cold starts and about some of the injuries that we really need to talk about. Um, sure. Obviously, the hottest start of the season is probably Todd Frazier, that guy. Um, leading the league in batting average. I mean, uh, if you, if, I can't believe I just cited batting average. I'm going to lose my sabermetric uh, card <laughs> for that one. But but hitting well, leading the Reds in all statistical categories, basically, at this point, um, across the board. You know, Scott Rowland is sort of a beloved character in, in a lot of areas, and I, I personally think Scott Rowland is a, a – future Hall of Famer. I, I certainly would vote for him. But I guess um, Todd Frazier has come in, taken that third base job, and done what he had to do early on so far to sort of make people forget Todd Frazier. Uh, yep. what, are you surprised or pleased, or uh, what are your thoughts about Todd Frazier? Well, again, I'll, I'll caveat the nine-game sample size, but uh, uh, he definitely has taken advantages of the opportunities put before him. Last year when Joey Votto went on the DL, uh, he came up and, and came up big when uh, when the Reds needed him to, and uh, so far to start the year, um, you know, there's that opportunity where if he comes out of the gate slow, that people are like, oh, is he really gonna be the every gate everyday guy this year? Is he gonna be able to handle uh, the role that Scott Rowland and others have filled in in the past? And you know, you come out hot, and, and all those naysayers or pessimists will uh, he he could go on and not do very well the rest of the year, and and. A lot of people in their mind, they're going to have this start and how he did last year as the kind of player he can be. And, um, you know, I don't think he's a 1,000-plus OPS player, but, uh, uh, I, you know, I think he can match what he did last year. And, and people get concerned about uh, rookies in their sophomore slump, but I don't see any reason why he can't repeat and improve on what he did last year. Well, I, I hope he can re- repeat what he did last year. I'm a little more skeptical maybe than you are. Uh, just in terms of his ability to hit for power, uh, because his uh, slugging percentage last year was a little higher than what we would have expected coming out of his minor league career. But then again, he is playing in Great American Ballpark now. Um, yeah. If he hits anywhere close to what he hit last year, um, I think the Reds are going to be very pleased with that production, especially given the fact that he's you know 
playing a fairly solid third base. He's not going to be Scott Rowling. Scott Rowland. Nobody is Scott Rowland, frankly. Right, right. Uh, Rowland was amazing over there, but but he'll be he'll be competent there, won't he? Yeah, I think so, and I think uh, uh, you know the rolling of the last couple of years too is not quite the rolling of his prime, and so I think uh, uh, Todd's a suitable imitation uh, at this point in Rowland's career. Yeah, not as much as of a drop off as it would have been, and uh, uh, when Scott Rowland was in the middle of that uh, streak of winning all those gold gloves. Yeah. Um, we we really saw a lot of good out of Scott Rowland the time he was here, especially defensively, but occasionally offensively. Uh, would have loved to have had that guy in his prime. Can you imagine if we'd had him uh, in Cincinnati rather than the Willie Greens of the past? I was really hoping when uh, when the Phillies traded him. You know, the, the rumor was he was either coming to Cincinnati or St. Louis, and I was really hoping that at that point in time he was coming to Cincinnati, but but it didn't happen. Well, Rowland's an Indiana guy. You're an Indiana guy. Uh, you were sort yep. of, you were sort of hoping uh, the local guy would come back and that would have been fantastic because what a career that guy had and 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 you know we sometimes got a little irritated with rolling over the last couple of years because he, he he his bat speed had dropped and he just wasn't producing offensively but uh i'm in awe of what that guy's accomplished in his career i wish him nothing but the best and i will remember his time as a red fondly but it's time to move on right i i agree so, um other guys that have started uh very hot is a guy that i just when they Reds traded for this guy, Shinsu Chu, I thought, this, this is it. I, I, you got to give uh, General Manager Walt Jockety credit for a, a master stroke as far as I'm concerned, uh, even if we only have him for one year. I'm a huge fan and have been of Shinsu Chu for a long time. And, of course, he's doing – and the reason why I, I was excited about acquiring him is because of the black hole in terms of on-base percentage at the top of the lineup last year or for the last 10 years since – or how many every year since uh, Barry Larkin retired. <laughs> yeah. um, and he's done nothing more in the first nine games than uh, get on base at a 5-11 clip. Uh, I'm guessing he probably won't get on base over half the time the rest of the season, but you cannot be anything but ecstatic about the way uh, Chu started the season. Am I right? I, I, you're exactly right, and that's a large reason there that the Reds have scored 52 runs. Uh, if you said they'd scored that many runs and had a couple of double-digit games already, and without Joey Votto or Jay Bruce hitting a home run yet, then I'd say that you're crazy. But it goes a long way that not only does he have the 5'11 on base percentage, but he has three home runs also in that leadoff spot. And um, that kind of pop's really going really gonna to help the rest of the lineup. Oh, it's just an entirely different element that the Reds have not, really not, never had before in that leadoff spot. Yeah. Um, yeah, three home runs tied with Todd Frazier for the team lead. Uh, yeah, there's nothing you can say about Shin Su Chu, uh, except that, well, there are some things, I guess. And we, we, need, <laughs> we need to discuss that. Offensively, I could not be more pleased with Chu. Defensively, the questions obviously coming in was whether or not Chu would be able to handle the move to center field defensively. Uh, and this is sort of a situation, just like we just talked about with Frazier and uh, Roland. Chu's never going to be Drew Stubbs out there. Drew Stubbs had his faults as a player, still has his faults as a player, but Drew Stubbs was exceptional defensively in center field. Um, huge drop-off there defensively, and Chu made a couple of uh, errors that almost cost the Reds uh, this week. Um, do you think he's going to be able to handle center field? Um, yeah, I mean, I, so he's had he's had his spots where he's he's looked really good out there, and he had that one game in St. Louis where, where he didn't, and I... I heard some of the Cardinals players actually kind of indirectly defend him a little bit by saying the time of that game and the the position of the sun, uh, and Chu did not use this as an excuse at all, 
but um, said it makes it tough out there. So if that's his first game in center field in that in that ballpark, then you know I'm, I'm willing to excuse that and uh, look past that. I think uh, I think he's a drop off from Stubbs. I think that's obvious, but his offense is going to more than make up for that. Absolutely, 100%. Couldn't agree more. Um, and I think that you're correct about uh, it's a little unfair to – I don't think we're going to see him bumbling plays uh, all season long like we saw in that Cardinals game. That was a sort of a tough situation. Uh, but I do have to say there have been at least a couple times, uh, three that I can think of actually, during the first nine games that I saw where he did not get to balls that I'm almost positive Drew Stubbs would have gotten to him. Um, yeah. Now, again, that's unfair. Almost nobody gets to the balls that Drew Stubbs right. can get to. Um, it's a completely unfair comparison. If he can just play an average, passable center field, um, I'm going to be very happy because you're right, his bat will make up for that. Uh, I hope he can uh, play a passable center field. I think the jury may really still be out on it, although he gets credit from everyone for being one of the hardest workers on the team. Um, and, 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 you know, let me ask you this. Would you have – Ryan Ludwig's out now for quite a while, and we'll talk about that a little yeah. bit more in a moment. And so Chris Heisey, who we're also going to talk about some more as well, uh, when we start talking about who's uh, not hitting particularly well, um, <laughs> would you have put Heisey in center field, given that Ludwig's out uh, sort of long term, would you put Heisey in center field and move uh, Chew to one of the corner spots? Um, I I don't think so. Um so they they they're they're optimistic that Ludwig will be, will be back at some point this season, and uh, I think you give uh, Chu as many reps as possible in center field prior to the postseason, <laughs> so that he's not working on a couple of months' experience, but six full months in center field. That's his position while he's a Cincinnati Red. Um, I would imagine that you know as long as he can handle it and doesn't embarrass himself out there, that his agent probably Scott Boris wants him to be yeah. in center field and show that he can handle the position just to increase his own value. Sure, yeah. Um, so Heisey, yes, probably is better defensively than Chu in center field. I, you know, we're going to talk about Heisey a little bit. I'm not sure if Heisey is more than a, a platoon player at this point offensively. Yeah, yeah, and we will get into that. We keep uh, saying that, but uh, let's let's hang on before we talk about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, uh, you're, you're absolutely 100%. I'm glad you said this because, you know, Dusty Baker is uh, the number one com- topic of conversation among Reds fans. And he has sort of taken some heat in some corners for not moving Chu over and putting Heisey out there. And I think that's without question, in my opinion, defensively, if they'd have put Chu over in left field and put Heisey in center field, the Reds are better defensively right now. Um, but you hit on the exact point that a lot of people sort of miss here, which is that, Ludwig is going to be back this year. And when Ludwig gets back, Ludwig is going to play. And when uh, Ludwig gets back, he's not going to play center field. He's going to play left field, and so Chu will have to go back to center field. Uh, if Chu's going to play center field in October, and we hope we're still playing in October, yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you're going to want to, him to get those reps, and, and better to get him now than uh, than when the games really start getting uh, exceptionally meaningful. So I, I don't fault Dusty Baker at all for that, although – even though having Heisey in center field right now would make the Reds a better team in the long term, I think that that's the exact right posi- uh, play is to, to keep him in center field. Um, moving on, who else has had a hot start? What about uh, Johnny Cueto? Our guy Johnny Cueto. Love that guy, man. He's uh, he The beat keeps uh, rolling on for that guy. Yep. Uh, two starts and uh, just one win to show for it, but that's uh, lack of offense in that first game. Hold uh, on a second. I- hold on. Hold on. 
I quoted batting average. You quoted pitcher wins. We're set. <laughs> <laughs> we're sounding like a podcast from 1958 here. Uh, yeah, come on, I'm man. Sorry you're going to lose your uh, sabermetric card, too. Uh, I am. <laughs> but you're right. Uh, he's pitched well, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Both both he and Matt Latos threw two turns in the – sorry, I called him Latos. Matt Latos threw two turns in the rotation have an ERA plus of over 150. Um, they're right there neck and neck for proving that they're the number one and number two starters in the rotation. Yeah, I'm telling you. Um, I uh, – you know, we, we're – Red Lake Nation uh, is part of the uh, ESPN Sweet Spot uh, network, and and they asked us before the season to make some predictions on who's going to win some of the awards. And I, I don't know. I was feeling crazy. I guess one uh, one day, and I predicted uh, in in their little balloting that Matt Latos would win the Cy Young Award, uh, and a couple other people voted for him in the top three, but uh, I was the only number one vote. I noticed <laughs> in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I can see Matt Latos, twenty five years old. I could really see him having a breakout year this year. Uh, what, sure. What are the chances of that? What do you think? Uh, well, I, I think the chances are are you know better than average. Certainly, I don't. He's not a front runner, obviously, but uh, he's. I think historically, if you look at probabilities and stuff, he's always had one month where he's missed starts due to injury, or he's he's had a, a poor performing month like last April for Cincinnati. But if he strings together six straight months like his last five months last season. I think he's definitely in the discussion for the top two or three pitchers in the National League. Well, that's a sort of a bold statement, but it's you know it's it's I don't see that it's incorrect. Cueto has been unbelievable for the last couple of years, and I am as big a Johnny Cueto fan as you're going to find on earth. I love that guy. Love watching him pitch. Love that funky motion where he turns back to <laughs> second base. Um, yeah. he's kind of kind of for the same reason that Bronson Arroyo is my uh, is probably my favorite Red. There's just something about watching Cueto pitch that it just just He's, it's fun to watch if you like baseball. But if Matt Latos hadn't had that ridiculously terrible April last year, Matt Latos, the rest of the season, was the best pitcher on the Reds pitching staff. Uh, I mean, his numbers were better than, than Cueto's uh, for the last five months of the season. Yeah, um, easily. Yeah, and, and it's a guy that was 24 years old. Um, and and you know, we talk about uh, – we give Walt Jockety a hard time sometimes. Uh, all, but – I gave him credit a moment ago for the Chew acquisition. That Matt Latos trade, uh, it looks better every single day. Um, well, I sure, I think I think that trade's probably better than than the Chew trade, just because of the long the long term nature of uh, the team control they have over him. So they have him for four years, including last year, right? Latos is four yes. years with the Reds. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, <laughs> and what kills me is this guy's still he's still so young. Uh, but still, uh, one of the top pitchers. I, I think if, I, I'm like you. I think if he can string together a full season of uh, of, of pitching the way he can pitch, he's got to be one of the better pitchers in the National League. Um, and you know, we talk about him having a bad month uh, here and there before. Well, you know, that's what young pitchers do. We talk about it often, and that's why we've sort of always on this podcast, especially, encouraged patience with uh, Homer Bailey, for example. And Mike Leak as well for you know when when he struggled. Young pitchers are inconsistent. They do that. Uh, we we pulled out uh, at one point uh, Greg Maddox's uh, stats to show, and Tom Glavin's as well. Uh, when they were young, they had, they were inconsistent. Uh, it, it takes a while to get there. Matt Latos at age twenty five is maturing. He's uh, he's sort of a power pitcher. He's striking out a lot of guys. Um, 
I don't know. I, I'm excited to see what Matt Latos can do this year. Um, I'm right there with you. I, I agree, Holy. So we think Latos and, and Cueto are, uh, are pretty solid one-two. What are we going to get? What are we going to get out of the last three? Uh, Arroyo, Bailey, and Leak have been a little bit uneven uh, so far this year. Uh, what, what are your thoughts before we move on to who else has been doing well and who's not doing so well this year? What are your thoughts on how those guys are going to are going to pan out? Well, they've kind of done so far what what you alluded to earlier with Bailey. Is people kind of expect that they're fifty fifty as to what how they're going to do on the mound. So Arroyo and Bailey have each had one good start and one bad start, and uh, Leak. Has only had one start, and it was uh, not so good so far. But uh, I think each time out, um, uh, it, it's going to be – I think that last year they definitely pitched a little better than, than uh, 50-50 in terms of what their, how good their starts were. Um, Bailey of the three I think has, has the best chance to put together another good year. Um, he had a good second half last year. Uh, he pitched very well in the playoffs. Um, I, I think this is kind of – his year, he's you know he's been in the organization now uh, at the major league level uh, at least for periods of time for six years, right? It, right, it yeah. seems like he's he's 27. He first came up when he was 21, I believe, and um, he's just been inconsistent. But last year was the first year he was healthy all year long, and I think if he can stay healthy all year long this year, he's not going to be Latos and Kudo, but uh, I think he's a very solid number three. Um, you know. That that's what I was going to ask. He's he's should be hitting his prime now. You think he can be a number three starter? Yes, um, I agree. I think he can be, and I hope this is the year. He took a big step forward last year, and everybody remembers the no hitter. But um, yeah, and the fact that down the stretch he was awfully good. Uh, but that, that was a huge step forward for him. So if he can step forward to be a solid number three, you got two guys in Arroyo and Leak, uh, who I think either one. There are a lot of teams around the league that would like to have either one of those guys as their number four starter. Uh, so, um, yeah. Well, Arroyo certainly proved last year that that uh, 2011 year was somewhat of a fluke. Um, and the only the only thing I think I see in, in the games watching him and watching watching him the other night go what perfect through four uh, right. and, and then get lit up um, is that he's he's a six inning pitcher now I think so. Um, hopefully this year he's not a four or five inning pitcher. Right, hopefully he's yeah. still got six innings in him. But um, you know, I, I hope Dusty doesn't try to push him a little bit too far. He he tends to kind of wait a little bit before he brings in the relievers, uh, brings in the rescue squad, and and can stretch out some starters and put them in some bad spots by doing that. Dusty does have a tendency to wait a <laughs> a, a batter or two too long to to lift a starting pitcher. You know, you, you mentioned sort of an, the fact that. Uh, Two years ago was a bit of an anomaly with uh, Arroyo. I was actually of the opinion after last season that uh, 2012 was the anomaly. That 2012 uh, he pitched very well, but it was sort of a you know I, I don't know. I didn't have a whole lot of faith that the real Bronson Arroyo wasn't the Bronson Arroyo from 2011. Then I got to looking at his numbers as a Red, um, and I actually wrote a piece in the Red Leg Annual. Go to RedLegAnnual.com uh, to order that. Uh, ebook uh, still still worth your money believe me four bucks worth every penny um and, and as i got to looking at the numbers it became fairly clear to me that that bad 2011 he had was out of character um and i expected he may not be as good this year as he was last year but i fully expect him to be at least um 
a legitimate number five starter for the Reds and probably a number four starter. So depending on whether Leak, Mike Leak, uh, at age 25 takes a little bit of a step forward, um, I still think as long as they can stay healthy, they're in good shape um, in the rotation. Now, quickly, let's run through the guys who've had sort of cold starts uh, to the season. A number one, it's got to be uh, our guy Ryan Hannigan. Wow, he's struggled badly, hasn't he? He has. Uh, and again, I hope with all these guys that are way overperforming or way underperforming their their numbers, it's just a small sample size question. Uh, the interesting thing with Hannigan is that, uh, at least historically, he's not done so well playing every day or near every day. And it's just been interesting to see him in the lineup so often, so early in the year. Um, uh, you know, it's like where where is Devin Mezzarocco? He's taken uh, taken Paul Yanish's spot on the team as the bat boy. It seems like. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, although Mezzarocco hasn't played uh, uh, very well in the time he has played, but he's only gotten eleven plate appearances so right. far. Uh, we should maybe I should title this uh, the small sample size podcast because because <laughs> everything here has to go with the caveat. If you're listening out there, everything we say is a caveat. Hey, we're only nine games into the season. That's a small sample size. But Hannigan has played. By far, the lion's share of the bats, uh, the lion's share of the game, seven starts. Um, and, uh, well, batting average of 43, on-base percentage of 148. Uh, his OPS, a robust 192. Uh, now, Hannigan's better than that. Uh, I don't think he's going to you know, drop off the uh, cliff that badly at right. age 32. Right. Uh, but then again, there aren't a lot of 32-year-old catchers that improve either. Um I'm a little concerned. It's not to the point where I would say that I'm worried. I'm a little concerned at the way that the playing time has been apportioned at the catcher position. Mezzarocco didn't do a whole lot last year, even though I feel like there's sort of some extenuating circumstances, but he didn't sort of push his way in and demand uh, extra playing time this year. But wouldn't it seem to you that a a 60-40, 55-45 split of the catching duties might be optimal for both catchers? Yeah, I would I would think so. As I said, I don't I, when Hannigan and Herman, and Ramon Hernandez were both on the team, uh they had uh 40-60, 60-40, 50 kind of right right in there. Uh when Ramon Hernandez won the DL, Hannigan got the the bulk of the playing time and and you could just see his his stats just go down the more he played. He just wore down pretty quickly. Um I, I think as they started last year, I, I would have expected Mezzarocco to take two out of every five uh, turns through the rotation um, just to help Hannigan in that respect and uh, to to give Mezzarocco some, some reps there. He uh, had a great spring. Uh, you know, it seemed like uh, the team was high on him, and, and then he doesn't play. Um, so, you know, I guess what will be interesting to see is the, after this off day, uh, today we're recording this on Thursday, the off day, uh, the Reds have 20 games in a row without an off day, uh, assuming there's no rainouts. And, uh, you know, I, I can't see Hannigan catching nine out of every ten games uh, through that stretch. Yeah, I think that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Two out of five, that doesn't seem unreasonable to give Mizrocco, uh you know, 40% of the playing time. And I think that would benefit both catchers. Uh, I, I might even go closer to 50-50 with Mezzarocco because I'm still very, very high on Devin Mezzarocco, and I think he just needs some at-bats. But I'm, listen, I'm high on Ryan Hannigan. I'm a big Ryan Hannigan fan, and I don't yeah. have any problem with him playing 60% of the time. Uh, when you start talking about 80% of the time, that's when I'm getting a little bit nervous because it's, he's going to wear down. And uh, But let me say this. 
Ryan Hannigan's not going to have a 192 OPS at the end of the season. Um, yeah. I, I'm not particularly worried about Ryan Hannigan just yet. He's looked awfully bad. There's no question about that. Um, but he's not this bad, and, and, and he's still an acceptable starting catcher uh, if you don't wear him down. So um, I'm with you on that. Who else has uh, not performed so well? What about uh, your boy Chris Heisey? Uh, Chris Heisey's had a had a slow start. He's uh, kind of in the same position that Todd Frazier was in terms of he's got an opportunity, kind of giving the ball most days in left field with uh, Ryan Ludwickert, and um, he's he's not capitalized. He's had uh, 31 at-bats, 34 plate appearances, walked one time, struck out 11, and um, OPS sitting at 510. Is, uh, he, he's just looked a little lost at the plate. You know, opportunity, that's the word you just mentioned, and, and I've been of the opinion for a while that Chris Heisey is a solid fourth outfielder in the major leagues and, and can have a, a career for himself as a yep. fourth outfielder. Um, if he was under any illusions, or anyone else uh, in, the, in the Reds fan base were any, under any illusions that uh, Chris Heisey had a chance of being a starting outfielder, this is his chance. This is his opportunity. Ryan Ludwig goes down for an extended period of time. Heisey has a chance that he could sort of grab the brass ring and uh, and, and make a lot of money for himself, really, in, in the future if, if he performs well. He's not exactly come out of the gate uh, as well as you would have hoped. I like Heisey. I don't have any issues with having Heisey on the roster. Love having him nope. as a fourth outfielder. Yep. Good defensively. He plays all, he plays all three positions mm-hmm. well defensively, and uh, he he has some pop in his bat, and he's good off the bench, and he's good against left-handers. And I think one of the things that might have hurt him, uh, so throughout his minor league career, he hit lefties a lot better than he hit righties. And he came up to the majors, and he went on a tear hitting right-handed hitters, or right-handed pitchers, right, rather. Yeah. And uh, I think he got typecast that he was a reverse splits type of guy. So last year, when there were positions to spot start him when Ludwig needed a day off, he was starting versus righties. And it, it finally kind of caught up that he couldn't hit righties. Um, so he was kind of put in a, a, not intentionally, put in a position to fail last year. And I don't, you know, in nine games this year, I don't know that that's, we can't say anything about his career, but I think that, um, you know, last year, Hopefully I'm wrong, but last year might be more of the the types of numbers that, that he'll put up in the majors. Yeah, he's a guy that could probably be a decent uh, outfitter starting uh, part of the time, at least if you put him in a platoon situation with a guy that, you know, a left-hander hitter that hit right-handers really well. Um, and I think he still has a lot he can contribute to a major league team. Um, he's not shown a whole lot so far that he can handle this left field position on a daily basis. And, I, and you know, Xavier Paul, for example, he's hit – Really well in a, in a very very tiny small sample size, uh, but uh, if Heisey doesn't start performing a little bit better, you got to see Dusty going to a guy like Xavier Paul a little bit a uh, little bit more for those at bats. Um, yeah, I think so. I think I, I think that they should go to a, a platoon and maybe even uh, give that Derek Robinson uh, kid a, a few starts out there and left. Can't hurt. Yeah, yeah. If you want to platoon him and uh, sort of. Put in the, it puts Heisey in the best position to be successful as well. What about yep. Zach Cozart at uh, shortstop, a guy who had a, a had a really interesting season as a rookie last year, surprised a lot of people, uh, hit uh, really fine for a shortstop, I guess I'll say, for a shortstop in this uh, the way the offensive uh, you know, atmosphere is these days. Boy, he's really he's struggled, uh, not quite as bad as, uh, as Hannigan, but he's, he's really struggled so far, hasn't he? 
Uh, yeah, he has. He's uh, uh, right there with Heisey, really, doing, doing a little bit worse than him. Uh, he's a, he seems to be a really streaky hitter from watching him play last year and just kind of in a microcosm of our, our short season so far. Here he had the one one game with two home runs, and that's been his offensive production so far this year, um, is that two-home run game. Yeah, and that's uh, yeah, that's about it. He's hitting uh, 129, 448 OPS. Uh, OPS plus, a robust 14. Uh, okay, Zach Kozar's not that bad. Um, <laughs> no, he's not. And as a matter of fact, if you got Zach Cozart batting seventh or eighth in your lineup, I'm very happy with that. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not worried about any of these guys yet. Way too early to be worried about any of them. So, right. Um, but he has, he's off to a cold start, no question. Um, well, let's talk about the guy that we haven't really spoken much about, and sort of the elephant in the room, Joey Votto. A lot of people, I'm not one of them. Let me go ahead and state that off the uh, at the top here. I'm not one of them, but a lot of people are concerned about Joey Votto and the fact that uh, he's not hitting for any power again this year after finishing the season last year after the injury with very little power. How worried are you about Joey Votto? Uh, well, given that he came back in spring training and played so well there, showed power there, I wasn't worried at all. He didn't hit any home runs in the first nine games. Small sample size. Sorry, I said it again. No worry there. But then I guess there was a quote in the paper that uh, Bill Lack had uh, commented on uh, on Red Lake Nation today. That's another one uh, of our editors, Bill Lack at RedLakeNation.com. Yep. He said, I really haven't taken a swing or at least a swing I'm comfortable with since last July. I had a few hits in spring training, but those weren't typically the types of swings I take during the season. That's what Joey Votto said about his own swing since last July, including the first part of this year. So that quote directly from Votto's mouth does worry me now. Oh, goodness. Now, you, are you trying to get me worried about, <laughs> about our superstar here? I'm trying to defend the guy. I'm trying to say I'm not worried yet. And, and you, you know, there's no question that quote, um, and I read it as well, and it uh, – <sighs> worried is not the word I want to use. I'm not worried about Joey Votto. Joey Votto uh, is still, you know, he's getting on base uh, uh, at a 50% of the time. Yeah, yeah, 500 on base percentage. Uh, he's still, he's still very good. His OPS plus is 142. I mean, you know, who wouldn't take that? But man, um, if he's not right yet after that injury, when is he going to get? Uh, when is he going to get better? Because he's playing on that that uh, knee every day. I, it's not going to heal during the season. You wouldn't think. Why does Joey have to go and say something like that and uh, and make us worry a little bit? Uh, what's he thinking? I don't know. What are the reporters thinking asking the question? Yeah, really. Who's ever heard of one of these uh, reporters asking an actual question? <laughs> uh, um, uh, I should say that because I love these guys. Uh, John Fay and Mark Shelton have been very good to Red Lake Nation. Uh, they're good guys. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, but, but you're right. Uh, that's a legitimate question. And... <sighs> I don't know what to make of Joey. He has not hit for power. He hasn't hit for power since he came back last year. He hasn't hit for power yet this year. Small sample size. Uh, and I'm still going to go ahead and say the guy hit for some power in spring training. I refuse to get worried about anything after nine games. That That's my position. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Um, now, let's talk about... Uh, 
couple other things before we uh, get going. The one thing we said before the season, and I've said it over and over, and uh, and I know you uh, have said the same thing. The only thing really that can can really keep the Reds from being a contending club is going to be injuries. And in some areas, the Reds are are well set up to sustain uh, some injuries. But that's the only thing, in my opinion, that could really keep this team from being competitive. Well, in the first nine games, two big-time injuries. Uh, starting left fielder Ryan Ludwig out for not sure exactly how long that's going to be. And now Sean Marshall, uh, yeah. the guy that – and I'm probably a bigger Sean Marshall fan than just about anybody. He gets some, gets a hard time from some members of the Reds fan base. Um, I think he's fantastic. Love having Sean Marshall on the club. Are, well, are there's you, a big there's a big drop off there. Having are you telling having, me that Sean Marshall's better than uh, is better than Logan Andrusek? Is that what you're saying? Uh, he is. <laughs> uh, hopefully, uh, you know Dusty's going to the Hoover or Lecure in, in a spot like that. Uh, but still, even that, uh, you know, maybe those will guys won't be much of a drop off. But they're an unknown, so so we don't know how that's going to shake out. But uh, yeah. Now relying on Manny Parra as the only left-hander in the bullpen, drop off. <laughs> it, it, it's not uh, uh, it's not looking good in that respect. And hopefully they've not said what's wrong with Marshall uh, in too much detail. Hopefully it's just some shoulder fatigue and he just needs a few extra weeks and, and he'll be back and, and better than ever. But man, shoulder injuries really really make me nervous. Make you very nervous, and, and I'm still I'm not real again. I'm not ready to get. Extremely worried on that. Uh, just yet, the Reds are notoriously tight-lipped when it comes to telling us what's going on with injuries, and that's fine. That's their that's their uh, way they want to handle it, and they don't have to tell me what's going on. Uh, right. I, wish, I wish they would, but uh, they don't have to. But I, the whole situation surrounding the Sean Marshall injury really kind of irritates me. And let me begin this uh, little rant I'm about to get on by saying that the. Uh, uh, and, and again, this is the first time you've joined us on the podcast. Although I hope it's the first of many times, uh, Greg. Uh, I know you listen to us. Uh, I'm, I got a rant at least once every podcast. Here's my rant: um, Sean Marshall's been having problems with his shoulder for a while now, dating back to spring training. Um, I think March 28th, uh, March 27th was the last time that he was able to pitch back in spring training. Yep. Um, now. The Reds kept him on the roster, and we've ranted. Uh, this is one of my common rants: is the Reds always wanting to play shorthanded. They got a guy injured; they'll wait ten days before they put him on the DL when they could have had another guy on the roster that could uh, help. Uh, and they'll play with twenty-four men on the roster, and that's basically what they did here. Uh, they could have put him on the disabled list at any time, retroactive to March twenty-eighth, uh, but instead they made the choice to keep him on the roster. Uh, and and that means they've been playing shorthanded for the entire season so far, except for the one inning that Sean Marshall pitched. Now, I I started to say that I'm not a big fan of Logan Andrusek, and that's not really true. Logan Andrusek's actually a, a really good guy. Um, he's popular with his teammates. He has some positive qualities. He's had some success with the Reds. He walks too many guys for my, uh, you know, uh, for me. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they could have had him, or I would have probably called up Jose Arredondo. But um, either way, the fact that the Reds were, in my opinion, looking from the outside, knowing that I don't have all the information that the Reds have, uh, I concede that they were voluntarily playing shorthanded all so they could get that one inning that Marshall's pitched this year. Uh, 
the, I don't understand Walt Jockety's willingness to play shorthanded so often. Does it does it bother you as much as it bothers me? Yeah, it does. I, it's it's frustrating. I don't, uh, you know, and we don't know what they know, like you said, and they don't tell the reporters either. So the reporters is are the uh, providing us, the public, with what information they are sharing, and they're not getting anything other than the guys can't play today and uh, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> and what's really frustrating then here is in the results, you look, they had two losses in that time where he was on the roster but couldn't pitch. Both losses were extra inning losses. Both those games were potentially winnable by having Sean, a healthy Sean Marshall or another pitcher who could pitch in those spots so that they weren't playing with a six-man bullpen. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, uh, when is the bullpen more important? than in extra inning games, which were the only two games they lost in those first seven. Um, and, and what the, the ended up happening was that J.J. Hoover ended up sort of getting uh, overworked a little bit because they didn't have enough healthy arms in that yeah. bullpen. And Hoover has had uh, an uneven performance early on, and I don't really blame him a whole lot. Uh, I'm still a J.J. Hoover fan. Uh, he's been depended on more than he should have been depended upon. Uh, yeah, he had a lot of people jump to his defense on opening day, actually, because uh, that two-inning uh – two-inning performance he had was this first two-inning performance in the majors. And why do you do that on opening day of all, <laughs> of all times? I mean, it's really, really yeah. bizarre, yeah. Well, it was the 13th inning. They were running out of pitchers, and Sean Marshall wasn't available. And Logan Andruzic was in triple-A, <laughs> or double-A. Right. Double-A, right, yeah. He was in Pensacola, Florida, uh, with a little <laughs> bit better weather than they have in Cincinnati, I'm sure. But uh, I just I don't understand the consistent willingness of the Reds to play shorthanded. It's happened a, a bunch of times, a couple of times with Scott Rowland, who we talked about earlier, uh, being injured and just waiting 10 days to put him on the DL when you could get another bat in here uh, that could at least be available to help the Reds possibly uh, if they needed him. Uh, they just they seem to always want to play on a, with a 24-man roster. I don't, I don't get it. I don't either. Um, well, uh, anybody else on the current Reds roster you want? You think we need to mention? Jay Bruce has no home runs yet. Uh not worried about him. Uh, Not worried about him. Yet, uh, who else we got? Uh, Brandon Phillips is sort of Brandon Phillips so far. He play, played pretty well. Yeah. Um, the bench. I'm still. I don't know. I don't know how much to get concerned about the bench. There's no Willie Harris on the bench, so I'm not going to complain right. too much early on. So they got their token uh, backup, no hitting shortstop with uh, Cesar as Torres. But uh, other than that, uh, I think the bench is is head and shoulders above last year, at least on paper and. I think so. Uh, we'll see how they do. Yeah, I think so. And uh, and the guy we've not mentioned, this is a, unbelievable. We've gone, you know, how many minutes now, 45 minutes or so or more. We've not mentioned Aroldis Chapman a single time. Uh, and, and Who, Who's that? Exactly. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> he only gets to pitch. Uh, how many innings has he pitched so far this uh, season? Five, five innings. Five innings. Five shutout innings. Yeah, uh, and five good innings, and we expect him to be a great closer. And I love Aroldis yep. Chapman, and he'll do fine in that role. But Yeah. I'm so not there gonna, was a – Interesting article on the uh, uh, Sweet Spot Network on ESPN earlier this week asking the question, would Nolan Ryan be a reliever if he came up in the majors today? Yeah, I loved that. I loved that. Yeah. Um, it, he may, maybe, maybe he would have been, uh, and Aroldis Chapman is a case in point. St- just stop it, Greg. You're going you're gonna to make me. <laughs> I've ranted about this each of the last probably four or five weeks that I've been on the podcast. I'm not, I'm not going to do it again. So. I think you've had your one rant allocation already in this podcast. All right. Okay. Then I won't talk about Aroldis. Except to say that, uh, you know, I, obviously I think Aroldis Chapman should be a starter on this team. But I, it's not like I'm upset about having him at the back of the bullpen either. Uh, 
Um, I just, all right, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I keep thinking Goose Gossage. That's the name I want to think because if Dusty Baker would just use Aroldis Chapman in innings where there are the highest leverage innings, when there are bases loaded, or when there are, you know, a, a tough spot in the seventh or eighth inning and use him for a couple of innings or to finish out the game, stretch him out a little bit more than the common closure, I think that I could actually be happy with Aroldis Chapman in the bullpen rather than saying what if about the rotation. Using him in the ninth inning when you got a three-run lead and nobody on base, that's a waste of this immense talent. Right. Oh, Greg, you let me get on a rant. Well, so even, yeah, so bullpen usage has always been, you know, one of Dusty Baker's weaknesses, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, I coach a kids' league where I'm the pitcher, so I don't have to take myself out or worry about any of that kind of stuff. So I, I can't even imagine I have to do it at, at his level. But that said, opening day, we just talked about Hoover throwing two innings in that game. Aroldis Chapman stretched out in spring training to start, comes in, one inning, he's done. Why could Aroldis Chapman in that situation not have gone two innings? He was stretched out. He didn't pitch the day before. They had an off day the next day. Why do you not go two innings with your best pitcher in that situation? And quite possibly the best pitcher on the entire staff, as you, as you say. Why not? Uh, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand. But let me ask you a question. When you're pitching in your youth leagues out there, <laughs> do you throw 105? I don't even get close. There's probably a five in it, but uh, it's not. Uh, right. I don't hit three digits at all now. Yeah, no question. Barely, barely two digits, probably right. Barely, yes. <laughs> all right. Well, I tell you what. Um, I'm not going to say much more about Aroldis Chapman. I, I love Aroldis Chapman. I just uh, am in awe of his uh, his talent. I wish the Reds would use it in a little bit better fashion. Even if they got to have him in the bullpen, I could live with it if they if they used him in more high pressure situations. But yeah, I'm afraid that's not going to happen. Uh, anything about else about the Reds' start so far this season that you think we uh, should touch on? Um, I think we've covered about everything. Um, you know, uh, if we're talking about the bullpen. Jonathan Broxton also has had a good start to the year. He's just allowed one unearned run in four innings. Hasn't yeah. walked anybody. He's been uh, good. That's, uh, yeah. So first of, what, three years with the Reds? Um, off to a good start. <laughs> Signed to that closer contract and going to be a setup, man. Uh, yeah. I would love to have been a fly on the wall in, in terms of all the discussions regarding uh, Rawlis Chapman, uh, whether to be a starter or not. But yeah. uh, Broxton's probably a competent setup guy. Um, he, he may be a little bit miscast as a closer, but I – I'm of the opinion that just about anybody can be a closer. Um, but he, he's probably going to be competent as a setup guy, don't you think? I, I agree. And speaking of, of competent as a closer, I'm a big fan of Sam LeCure. I think he could close. Um, he's had a good start, too. Uh, five innings, just uh, one run on a, on a home run. Um, five strikeouts. I, I like him in the bullpen, and I hope he uh, continues to get more high-leverage situations in the future. Yeah, I'm worried that Logan Andrusek's going to get more of the uh, high leverage situation because over the last couple of years he's he's been placing a lot of eighth inning tight spots, two guys on base. Uh, Lacure, who's a guy that I frankly have underestimated every single day of his minor league and major league career. I'll, I'll admit that uh, he strikes out guys. Uh, Sam Lacure is a, a legit pitcher, and and I'm with you. I would love to see him get some of these, uh, especially with Sean Marshall out now. I would love to see LeCure get some of these uh, high-leverage innings. He hopefully has that opportunity, and he hopefully seizes it. 
Yeah, I hope so. Um, kudos to LeCure. He's done nothing but get guys out since he came to the majors. Um, yeah, that's uh, that pretty much covers the uh, the major league roster. We'll maybe talk a little bit more about some of the minor league guys. There's some interesting things happening down on the farm, uh, in, including Mark Pryor. Let's go ahead and touch on Mark Pryor really quickly. What do you make about the fact that, that Mark Pryor is trying to trying to come back? And uh, can that guy be a, a legit part of the Reds bullpen by the end of the season? Um, I think so. Uh, I hope so. I guess he's one of those good uh, lightning in the bottle type stories that every club signs a handful of them. Um, every year, and most of them you never hear from again. Um, you know, I think it was just a year or two ago the Phillies signed uh, Matt Anderson, who used to be the closer for the Detroit Tigers, and it was a big name back then. And and he pitched a year or two and blew his arm out and got a spring training invite and came in. There was kind of a lot of hoopla in Philly land about all that. And then you know, I think at the end of spring training they they parted their ways, and Matt Anderson hasn't been heard from again. Mark Pryor's been trying to do that the last uh, two or three years, and it's just never quite had the results that he's needed to to put it together back again in the majors. But uh, the results in in his first four games in Louisville have been good, and uh, you know I think it's just a matter of time that if he keeps doing that, he will definitely get the call. Um, whether his pitching that he's doing in Louisville will translate against major league hitters, I have I have no idea. But uh, I think we'll see him in a Cincinnati uniform by the end of the year. That could be an interesting, uh, interesting situation. You know, prior, you, you talked about the idea of taking a flyer on some of these guys, and that's what Jim Bowden, when he was the general manager of the Reds, he'd take a flyer on a dozen guys like that. And, you <laughs> yeah. know, maybe one of them, like a Pete Shurek, would uh, would pan out and it'd be worth it. Uh, prior seems like a good guy. Uh, we all know about how just amazing he was when he was at his best. Um, that would be an, it's a fun story to sort of follow, and heck, if he can help the Reds bullpen, bring it on. I'm all for it. Um, all right, well, you know, we've we've gone a little longer than we thought we were going to go, and that's what always happens when we start talking to Reds. Uh, it's great to talk baseball. It, it is great to talk baseball. It's great to talk uh, real baseball rather than this spring training nonsense we've been dealing with. <laughs> spring training lasted for about six months, it seems like. Um, you, you still think the Reds are right on track to be the, the Reds that we hope they can be? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, even if you say, well, they've won five out of nine, if they win five out of every nine, they have won 90 games. And I think that's kind of a low estimate for what a lot of people think they'll do. Uh, and that was doing it against some tough teams, as we said at the beginning of the podcast. So we got Pittsburgh and uh, Miami and Chicago coming up uh, in the next, uh, uh, I think they're, looks like nine of the next 12 games. And um, so I think we're going we're gonna to roll in April here. Absolutely. And I think there are a lot of reasons. Uh, to be optimistic about these Cincinnati Reds. I'm, I'm still very optimistic. Greg, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, I hope you're going to join us on a very regular basis on the Red Leg Nation radio podcast. Uh, can I count on you for that? I will uh, attend as often as I can, and I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of fun tonight. Good talking Reds with you. Uh, guys and gals, appreciate you listening to us. I know a lot of things you can do with your uh, entertainment time. The fact that you downloaded this podcast and and listen to us ramble on about the Cincinnati Reds. It means a lot to us, and we really do appreciate that. Go to redlegnation.com where you can subscribe to uh, Red Leg Nation Radio via iTunes or via the RSS feed. Also, you may want to uh, check us out on uh, Twitter, Red Leg, at Red Leg Nation. Uh, and don't forget to check uh, Greg, our buddy Greg here, at GDaffler, G-D-A-F-L-E-R, at GDaffler uh, on Twitter. And uh, I'm not sure why anyone would want to follow me on Twitter, but if you want to, it's Dotson C, D-O-T-S-O-N-C. 
Appreciate Greg Daffler from RedLegNation.com, my buddy, uh, one of our editors, uh, joining us tonight. Um, we'll see you at RedLegNation.com. Thanks for joining us tonight. LensCrafters, we value expertly tailored eye care, provide state-of-the-art eye exams, offer a wide assortment of designer brands and high-quality lenses, because everything we do at LensCrafters is for every site that makes your life special. We offer 50% off lenses with frame purchase. Shop in-store and online. Book your annual eye exam now on LensCrafters.com. LensCrafters, because sight. Eye exams are available at the Independent Doctor of Optometry at or next to LensCrafters. Doctors in some states are employed by LensCrafters. Offer valid to April 2nd, 2023. See associate for details.